Good morning. Is it really loud? No. Okay. You just happened to lean back at the same time I said good morning. I was like, woo, am I? All right. I did slides today. I'm trying something new. I don't usually use slides. I am told that slides are engaging. So I'm going to give it a try and hopefully they won't be too... You know when you try something new, you're like, just stick with what you got. When you're already on stage, why add something more complicated? But I'm going to try it. So, and you can, uh, Carrie is working back there with me and asking questions like, did you save your files, Heidi? And I was like, what? She's like, oh my goodness. So that lets you know where I am on the technology scale. And I'm like, where would I save it? It's right there for you. So she's, she's amazing. She works with me. All right, so we're in our beloved community series, and I was kind of realizing this series on community has been a little different than what I've heard before. We started with, uh, I started the sermon series with the community of the Trinity, and we started with our relationship in the Trinity. Um, that That's the first and foremost community that we belong to as Christians. And then Jamie preached, and I taught Sunday school, so I don't know what happened the next week. And then the third week, we practiced community. We had the kids here with us the entire time. We practiced being a community together and worshiping with our kids. And then, let's see, now Jamie last week preached on being a worshiping community. And I personally think, I told him, I think when he preaches on worship, um, it's kind of like one of his sermons because it's his gifting. It's like who God made him to be. We all have our different gifts. And his is he worship. He leads people in worship. And so I said, you hadn't preached on worship in a while. But when you do, I feel like you're speaking out of who you are. So he talked about being a worshiping community. And then this week, I'm going to preach on something I haven't heard before when you talk about community. But, oh, right, I can do two things. There we go. Looking to the communities before us looking to the 2,000 years of communities before. So it's kind of like, it's a little like a history lesson that we're going to do today. So it's a little different than a sermon. If you like history, you'll be like, yes. If you don't, just pretend it's a sermon. Just like you always get. You're like, well, I'm not really into history. It's a sermon. So um, I am in a soul formation program right now. And it's with a bunch of pastors and leaders down in Oregon. And Janice Busboom, when I signed up for it, until she's like, yes. And I was like, what do you mean? Yes. He goes, well, you're going to go learn new things, and then you're going to come back, and you're going to share them with us. And I was like, oh, like I hadn't thought of it that way. And so I was like, this is kind of teaching you a lot about what I've been learning, and Janice is teaching Sunday school. So I was like, ah, shoot, she won't get it here. She was like, I'm so excited. So in my program, we've been talking a lot about beloved community. And we read through this book by um, Richard Foster, and Gail Beebe, and probably Foster may, may or not be a familiar, he wrote Spiritual of Disciplines, it's a classic, Jamie recommended it last week, I recommend it again, um, anything really by Foster, and so he wrote this book called Longing for God, and he walks us through the saints, like introducing us to saints who have formed the church, and it's super interesting, he presents to you like George Fox, and Augustine, and Bernard, of, and um, St. Francis of Assisi and Julian of Norwich, and it just goes through them and it gives you a synopsis 
of who they were and what they brought to the church. And why I wanted to share it with you is because I found it really encouraging. And I think the church could use a little bit of encouragement right now. Because many of the church books that we read right now, like another one I'm reading from my program, is called The Leader's Journey. Second paragraph in talks about the dire place of the church, which is reality. It talks about the shrinking numbers. It talks about the empty pews. It talks about the dying of Christendom in the United States. And that is true. That is reality. And it can get a little depressing. And, um, and that was right. He wrote that book before the pandemic. I'm like, that was before now. Now was like, I'd say it's um, much worse <laughs> than it was before COVID. So why did I find this book encouraging? I found the book encouraging because I saw a pattern. Every several hundred years, three, five, two years, 200 years, the church went through an upheaval. The church went through a time of like today. We're not the first people to look around and see that the pews are empty. We're not the first people to look around and go, what in the world is going on in the world? It's a, it's a pattern. It happens. It's a cycle. So you might be familiar with Thomas Akempis and his Imitations of Christ. He wrote this book, which I highly recommend to any Christian, and he wrote it. And how does one become like Christ while facing political and social unrest on a grand scale. That's now, right? That's now. And he wrote this in response to then. He was in the same situation, and that's where it came from. Isn't this the book you read, like, is this the one you read all the time, like, goes through? Yeah, I was thinking this is the one that Jamie reads. Um, this is from the book. This is around 500 um, A.D., with the social fabric of the ancient world unraveling, the theological assumptions of the first five centuries began to crumble as well. As these transitions gathered momentum, key thinkers began to emerge to help develop thoughts and practices that would guide the communities of faith. So out of this time, 500, going forward, out of 500 BC, we get, um, we get who was it? Who's the saint? It'll come to me. There's a lot of saints. Um, let's see if I have it in my notes here. Benedict. This is when we get Benedict at 500. So as I read through the book, I would see this pattern, social unrest. The world is unraveling. The church is getting small. And God would bring someone new who would bring new thoughts and new practices ways of being that would bring the people back to God. And so I say to you, we're just in a time of looking and waiting, and it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. There are seasons of light and dark. There are seasons of winter and spring. I would say that we're kind of in winter, and we're waiting for spring, and it's going to be okay. And I was like, I want people to see that this is a cycle. These are things that just happen, and it's going to be all right. And there's always a remnant. There's always a group of people who lean in and get a little closer to God in the midst of it. So as I began to read through the saints, I began to see patterns that emerged as I was reading. 
And one that I noticed that I wanted to share with you is that I didn't put them up there, did I? I have to do two things. I don't know if I can do that. So I began to see that there were patterns that emerged, like things through the book. I'd be like, oh, I've seen this, and this happens again. And one of the things I saw that each of the saints would have a time in their life when they had a radical encounter with the cross. And the life with God, they would say overnight, life with God begins with Christ at the cross. Like, as you go through. And you might think, well, that, that, seems, that seems obvious. But today, in our church world, there's a very prevalent idea that the, Jesus is one way to God. And you might be sitting here and you might believe that. Like, Jesus is one way to God. And so I found it interesting looking through the last 2,000 years of history, that is not what's been taught. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. And sometimes we hold on to ideas right now very strongly, and we think that this has been the way the church has always thought, and it's not so. Like, for instance, our view of women in ministry. We think that it's, and like patriarchy is very strong right now. The church has not always held this view. The church has not always held the view of a seven-day creation. I think some people would think that's what the church has always believed. You look back through history, and you can get a little broader perspective. And so one of them is, for me, and to see, is that life begins with God at the cross. So um, I guess it encouraged me, and it challenged me to stay firm in that. When the world around me is saying, well, it could be Buddha, I mean, I have, I have friends. But this is what my neighbors think. This is what people in my community think. I think this is what a lot of young people in our, I think if you polled them, I think this is what our, most of our high school and college students think. And it, it doesn't match 2,000 years of history. And so I encourage us to look to history to, to learn. Here is 1 Corinthians 1.18. For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. And I, I think it's true in our culture. I, I have a friend, I can't remember the word she used, but she said to me, when you believe, basically, if you believe that Jesus is the only way to the cross, you're, you're very narrow-minded. She said that to me, and I was like, oh, that's... It's kind of hard. Like, she's like, you're, it, there's a word for it. Like, you're kind of centric. Like, yeah, I was like, wow, there's like a word for it. those of us who think that Jesus, there's only one way to God. And it is foolish. She thinks it's foolish of me. And I just think it's worth noting that in history, this is, this is the way. This is the power of the cross. I also noticed, um, as I read, that each taught a way or a process for followers of Jesus to grow in their life with God. And this process was seen as a lifelong pursuit. Each saint taught like a way, like John Wesley or St. Francis. This is a way to live in community. This is a way to grow, and it's a lifelong process. Basically, they were teaching to be close to God requires spiritual disciplines, they used different spiritual disciplines for different people, like different saints would highlight. 
But I would say we haven't even been taught spiritual disciplines in the church. Like this was common practice to grow in your faith required spiritual disciplines. I went through Bible college and was never even, Jamie, seminary, you don't even learn these processes. You don't even learn these steps. I also think what I noticed is in the Western church, we have been taught, not so much now, but you invite Jesus into your heart and you're good. Good and gold. And that is the very, very beginning of your life with God. It's the very beginning. Also with spiritual disciplines, what I noticed, because different saints would highlight, there's like, if you're like, oh my gosh, I don't want spirit. There's like 50 spiritual disciplines. So they're not like Tyler, the ones that Tyler might love and lean into and speak to him and grow his faith. could be completely different than what God uses for Julie. And what's forming her and shaping her and moves her towards God. And then Angie could have a completely different, these are the things that God has placed for me that help me to grow and to seek him and to become more like him. So I noticed as I look through the saints, there's a, there's a way, there's a process. There are, here we go, there are common pieces that are foundational for growth and discerning the will of God. I highlighted and like made discerning darker. Discerning is considered the highest value, the highest um, discipline for a Christian throughout you read them. To discern the will of God, to discern God's voice, to discern what he, it's what is God inviting you into. That's how we say it. That is the highest calling of us is to discern what is God calling me today? What is God speaking to me in this moment? So here are the common pieces that I saw as I read through the, piece, the saints. Scripture, nature, community, history, writings of the great saints, and experience. The experience kind of changed between people. It could be like an experience with God and your own, or it could be sacraments. Okay, so why... Why am I sharing these with you? Because right now, a lot of churches teach and believe that scripture is the only way to hear from God. It's called solo scripture. We're an only scripture denomination. That's all you need. And church history says that's not so. It's dangerous to just look at the scripture and not look at these other pieces. Amelia and I went to the bank and sat with a guy, and it was taking forever, and so he's telling about his church. I go, I don't know much about your denomination. What is it? He goes, we're a solo scripture. All we need is the scripture. That's all we have. That's all you need. And it's, it's dangerous not to look at the other pieces, like history, because you can interpret something completely from this Western individualistic mindset. It's a way it's never been thought before, but you didn't bother to look back over history. So I'm going to go through these and um, share what the saints taught on these different ideas. So scripture might seem obvious to you. However, uh, they use different words when they talked about scripture, the saints and then how we use them. These are the words that I read and found. It's a divine reading. It's relational. It's an allegorical understanding. It's a different inner way, way of interacting with scripture. You use your imagination. Meditating. This is what we might call lecto divina. And the point is Christ as your inward teacher. 
what we have mostly taught, what I have mostly, what we have mostly taught is you read scriptures to know more. Just to acquire knowledge. I had a college student say to me, she said, I read through the entire Bible for a year. And I'm very proud of myself. And I don't feel any closer to God than when I began. In the Western culture, we have taught to read through the Bible to check the boxes. We've taught you read a chapter at a time. And I would say the saints said, you read scripture to be with God, to sit with God, to hear from God. It's a divine reading. It's relational. When I sit to read with God, I might only read a verse or two. And I'm asking myself, what are you saying to me? It's relational. And we haven't taught it that way in the West. When you spend time with God, you sit until you feel like, I was with God. I heard from the Trinity. It could be 10 minutes. It could be 20 minutes. I think it's a vastly different take on Scripture. I'm not saying that there's not space to learn the Scripture and to learn the context. I am saying what really grows a person is meeting with God here inside and sitting with it. It's a lot more work than reading through the Bible in a year. And you won't be like, I read through the whole Bible and I don't feel any closer to God. Because that's not the point. The point is relational reading. The next one I found, oh, here we go, scripture. This is one that I've been meditating on to share for an example. Because um, you might be like, I don't know how to read the Bible like this because I haven't been taught. There are lots of resources if you want to learn how to be with God, to know God. Uh, you can look up Lectio Divina. We, we practice these on retreats. So if you're like, I've never practiced this. If you come on retreats with us, we will teach you some of these skills. We practice them together. So here's the scripture I've been meditating on. And do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? And I just spend time thinking about me being God's temple and him being in me and coming to take up space and asking him to move around. Come be in me. Show me what's going on. And you just sit with it and you trust that God will show you what you need to hear. And then you can come back to the same verse the next day. I've heard some of you say before, I'm in the book of James and I've been there for a long time. Sometimes you ever just pray and ask God to lead you? Like I'm in 1 Corinthians right now. Like, God, where do you want me to land? I was in John for a long, long time. Just pray. Ask, where do you want me to land? Where do you want me to be learning and growing? The next one is nature. Um, God's self is on display. It might seem obvious when we say it, but I don't think most of us were taught 
that nature helps us discern God's will. But then you read through the saints, and they say you can see God's design in nature. Herbert believed that beauty, second only to God, only to Scripture, elevates us to God. Beauty could be music, art, a person. Beauty is different for each of us. I wasn't taught to look at nature that way or beauty. It actually is taught that um, when you're trying to discern God's will, you can actually look at the nature of things to see what's true around you. Calvin um, taught very firmly, if you're familiar with him, let's see if I wrote it down here, that he had great confidence that beauty and order and the design of creation could point us to the truths of God. And myself, um, it's where I experience rest. And I feel at home. I feel at home in nature. So those are two, two ways that the saints. Next is community. I kind of don't even know where to begin because the saints had such a different view of community than we have. It's almost mind-blowing. It is so much more involved than anything in a Western individual society I've ever seen. I put up here John um, Wesley with the Methodists. Like, you might look at the Methodist church now and be like, hmm. But when the Methodist church started, they were full of life. It was a beautiful, beautiful denomination. And they, they spent so much time together. And they would meet together in small groups of three or four. And this was the question that was kind of foundational. How is it with your soul? That question. How is it with your soul? And they would get together and they would ask each other that. Community is the embodiment of Jesus. It's us being Jesus with one another. It's interesting because when you look through the first hundred years, you see the desert fathers and mothers. And I've kind of been intrigued by the desert fathers and mothers. Like, how is it that when someone goes off all by themselves and spends all this time in the middle of nowhere, they become closer to God? What was interesting through studying the history is after a few hundred years, or actually less, what would happen, what happened was it changed is that people came to them and they formed communities. They didn't stay islands, were made for community. So they would go out and be alone and what happened was people would come and seek them out and they formed these communities. Or they would listen and God would say, go back. Go back and be different. Go back and be different. Um, what, I, what I heard and read was community is God asking us as a Western culture to move from me to us, to an us word. This is from a Kempis. Fullness of life by coming to completion in Christ is only possible through active involvement in Christian community. None of us ever know God in isolation. Rather, our life with God is a series of individual and corporate experiences that guide us over time. You can't grow just online, church. You can't. We're not made for isolation. We're made for community. It's made up of being alone with God and coming together. It's about taking communion together. It's about singing together. It's about 
sharing your life, asking for prayer together. Here are some of the saints. So I found it interesting that something that was considered, this is what Christians do, is you read the saints before you. I was like, I was never, no one ever told me. No one ever encouraged me. No one ever taught us, read the saints before you. Doesn't it seem obvious? Learn from 2,000 years of church before us. Here are some that Jamie and I have read. I would recommend Julian of Norwich, her book Showings. George Fox, anything by Thomas Merton. So Thomas Merton, I'll just give you a little plug, because I think in this community, people might like Thomas Merton. So he was an academic, and his journey towards God began with he could not connect with people relationally. He's brilliant. He had a really hard time emotionally connecting with people. And so he found his journey towards he could connect with God and then towards people. So if you like some heady but also um, emotional writing at the same time, it's kind of unique, Thomas Merton. Brother Lawrence, Practicing the Presence. I think probably a lot of you have heard of that, read it before. I read it with a group of women. Thomas Akempis, Imitation of Christ. Thomas Kelly, A Testament of Devotion. And Teresa of Avila, Interior Castle. These are some classics that Richard Foster would say. Read these. Read these. I've been reading um, A Testament of Devotion by Thomas Kelly. And right there. I've been reading that one. And it's really fun to read. He is a Quaker who is quoting Brother Lawrence. So I'm reading it, and he's quoting Brother Lawrence over and over and over again. So you're reading one dead saint quoting another dead saint, and it's just kind of, it's, it feels really beautiful. And I, I'm reading A Testament of Devotion because the program that I'm in, one of the ladies, the older lady in the program who's in her 60s, says, I read this book every year. I've read this book every year for a year. When you read these books, it's not to consume. It's not for knowledge. It's not so that you can be smarter or know anything more. It's to be with God. You read it slowly. You chew on it. Isn't that a funny picture? I just, <laughs> I just thought, oh, the poor guy. All the pictures, his nose was so big. I just thought that was a fun one to share. But I, I highly recommend A Testament of Devotion. When you read anything, so when you read anything, you read slowly. You don't read for head knowledge. In our culture, Western culture, knowledge is premium. But in other cultures, your heart, your wisdom, your spirit is premium. I wrote up here, read dead people. That's my advice. Read dead people. See if I can get it there. Read dead people. That's tried and true. Read contemplatively. Slowly. Not to consume knowledge, but rather to grow Read to encounter the light of Christ, the inward teacher. Read to be changed, to discern, to be with the Trinity. As I was reading through the book, I saw that the, the saints teach that life is a journey. That's not a foreign concept to us. You're like, oh, I've never heard that one before. But life is a journey. But a reminder, 
John Bunyan wrote a pilgrim, Pilgrim's Progress, where he teaches that, pilgrim, that our life is a path to God. Here's Thomas Merton again. His teaching was to find a path to find your home to God. And a compass is to help us find our way back when the world is in chaos. And then the next three, Augustine, Bernard, and Pascal, I'm going to pull from their teachings and do the next few slides. So here, here are a few of those saints. There's Julian of Norwich. She's the beauty. Thomas Merton. The, I don't know if you say the dashing young monk in the middle. <laughs> and then there's Teresa of Avila. And you can see the different eras. There's George Fox at the bottom. He's a Quaker. And Paul, John Bunyan. I always say Paul Bunyan. That's embarrassing. John Bunyan. <laughs> Paul Bunyan with the big, you know. Yeah. It's an interesting fact. If you're like, I don't know where to get started. The Quakers are super interesting. So Quakers are one of the smallest denominations. And yet they are the most prolific writers the most writing per person. And they would say it's because they're quiet before God. And so they actually have something to say. It's super interesting. I one time was just on a Quaker kick, and, and I love their language. It's different. So it grabs your attention um, in a different way. Here's some thoughts from Martin Luther. Every single one of us who responds with affirmation to God is given a new life through Jesus Christ. But not every one of us who is given this new life fully manifests its fruits. The difference lies in the level of dedication and response each one of us makes to the work of the Holy Spirit. When you ask Christ into your life, you are saved. You are made new. And that is where the journey begins. This is from Thomas Akempis. When I journeyed half of my life's way, I found myself in a dark wood for I had lost my path. When I read the saints, I find I'm not alone. <laughs> You're like, oh, I've, I've made it halfway at times and lost my way. And I'm invited into a life with Christ deeper and sweeter than I have yet to experience. When I read the saints, I find myself longing for more of God. Here are three levels I'm going to teach from Augustine, Bernard, and Pascal. And they talk about ordering our lives. And the reason I found it interesting, and it kind of bothered me, is because these saints all, no, these saints, many of these saints teach that there are levels that we journey through in our walk with God. And they use common language to go through them. And I think what really bothered me is we're only, we are only taught level one in the Western church. And when I was in my program, I came back after reading this, and I sat down with a group of pastors, and one of them, his name is Steve, and he's getting ready to retire. Oop, wrong one. And I said, were you ever, did anybody ever teach you? Like, you know, he's like getting ready. To, did anybody ever teach you these? He's like, no, no. And I'm kind of angry. I'm like, how can we lead people in our churches to go beyond a basic level of faith if we haven't been taught as pastors? You're sitting at this level of people who actually I think all of them are more educated than myself, honestly. And I'm like, anybody here? Was any, did anybody get 
learn any of these skills or shown away? And they're like, no. I'm like, well, then no wonder our faith would be a little bit shallow. Like that Bill Hybels quote, I build a church a mile long and an inch deep. An inch deep. Because that's what all the pastors and people were learning in seminary. (laughs) And so here's level one. In level one, it's very active. It's very active. It's a moving, carnal, body senses, confession. None of these are wrong. Literal reading of scripture. There's a time when we all read scriptures literally. At the beginning, you engage in correct practices. You love your neighbor. Doing is the word in Proverbs. We are a knowledge society, the West, and we put a high premium on what we can know. To go in Christ, we go to level two, and the words show mystery, what you can't know. Mind, to know God. Mind and soul are the words. Knowing scripture in context, so you're growing. Contemplative. I think we've been taught like some people are contemplative, some people aren't. But the saints teach that we are all contemplatives. It doesn't mean you sequester yourself away. It means you move through the world differently. You move through the world contemplatively. Henry Nouwen wrote, also a dead person, so I could quote him today. He said, I live half my life and I reflect the other half of the time. That doesn't mean he's just sitting in a chair. You can reflect while you're moving. You can reflect while you're working. You can reflect while you're running, walking. What is it you do? But you live your life, and then you reflect. The word is discernment, and the book is Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes. And then the third level, and my idea is not for you to be like, oh, I think I'm in the third level. Oh, yes, I made it. Or, oh, shoot, I'm, it's not about that. It's an invitation. So when, when Rita taught us, the lady who I told you who's the oldest lady in our apartment, she's like, you, I get glimpses of level three. I get moments in level three. And I've been walking with God a long, long time. So this is more like, what, what's God inviting us to? There's the word contemplative again. Heart, soul, supernatural knowledge. Your life as prayer. You know God. Humility. Wisdom. Holiness. Union. I highlighted in the word union because it came up with every saint that I was looking at. Union with God. So some of these one person would use and then another person would use this word, but union was the word that showed up, a union with God. Life of prayer and action. So from your prayer, you hear what God is asking you to do. You don't just go out and do, but you begin with prayer. God, who, what, today? This is your day. I'm your human. Today, where? Sit, go, and Jesus is your inward teacher. It's an intimate and continual communion with God. And the book is Song of Solomon. I want us to learn together to be a contemplative people, to be a reflective people. Not all doing and action, but prayer and action.
I want us to learn together some of the practices that have been common in the church that we've lost, like Lecto Divina, like contemplative prayer. And um, we have done many of them together because there's so much more to our life with God than what we have been shown and taught. Each of us, each of you can have Jesus Christ teaching you as you go through your day. Each of us can learn to be reflective people as we're doing dishes and making food and working with people. It's for everyone. It's one thing I really love about God. Everyone is invited. In fact, usually, right, Jesus would go to those of us who were nobodies. Usually Jesus goes to people who weren't, nobody thought, well, they're amazing. It's for all of us. But, but few, few of us say, yeah, I, I, I want that. I want to know you deeper and more intimate. I want to live that way. So I guess it's an invitation. Right now I'm reading this book, Pustinia. It's Encountering God in Silence, Solitude, and Prayer. She only died in the 80s, but it still counts. And um, her name's Catherine Doetry. What's super interesting about it, and I'm really enjoying, is it's from the Eastern Church. And I don't know if you know much about the Eastern Church, but I'm learning they're really different than the Western Church. Like, they look so different than we do, and yet they're the Christians. And I also think it's a little bit interesting and timely, if you're interested in looking in the Eastern Church, because they are a traditionally, like, a shame-based culture. And we have been a guilt-based culture. And we are moving towards a shame-based culture. And so their faith makes sense for us here and now. Does that make I hope that made sense. So I would like to leave you with something today to bring with you to practice a contemplative exercise. Um, I have a short scripture for you, and I took out a small section from this book. When I read it, I was challenged and humbled. It's on community and becoming a community of love. And Julie made copies, and she has them. I invite you to read it this week, contemplatively, slowly, and to ponder it. Put it somewhere where you won't forget, wherever that is. And I invite you to read it and see what you think about what it says about community, because I was humbled and challenged. So I'd like to send that with you today. And then as we close, I would like you to ask yourself these questions and give you a moment to actually Articulate a thought in your head. So what new thought did the Holy Spirit nudge you to ponder and consider today? And then there's that, the question we ask here often. What's God inviting you to? Basically, it's the same question all the saints have been asking, discerning. Discerning where God is leading you today. So what new thought 
did the Holy Spirit nudge you to ponder and consider? And I'll give you a moment to think about it. The worship team has a song that they specially prepared today for us to close with. Yeah, thanks. of the church throughout all the years of history is to bless one another at the end of a service or at the end of a gathering to speak God's words over each other. In fact, uh, I read a story recently about a woman inviting a pastor to a room. She was a shut-in and she says, I need you to come wa- lay one on me. He's like, what does that <laughs> mean? It sounds like you're the most, it, what she meant was, I want you to come and lay your blessing upon me. And we are each given the blessings of God to share with one another. And so that's this song that we've sang many times here at the church. It's called The Blessing. But this is to sing together as a community and over one another as we go throughout our week and into Thanksgiving to bless one another. And I pray that God would bless us and keep us and go before us and behind us and beside us to be over our families for a thousand generations. What a great blessing to give. So would you stand and join us in this as we bless one another? Julie's going to lead us.
blessings flow praise him all creatures here below praise him this morning the story through 2,000 years of church history is Jesus loves you and he loves his people and his presence rests among us as we go from this place so go in his grace and his presence and his love happy Thanksgiving to you and we will see you next week amen